Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. Don't let winter's chill keep you indoors. Ocean State Bird Club is hosting lots of free winter walks to see magnificent harlequin ducks, razor bills, and maybe even a snowy owl. Visit our website at www.oceanstatebirdclub.org for more information and follow us on Facebook. If you become a member, you'll also get our quarterly newsletter, Ocean State Bird Club. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 714. We're starting off this morning's show by signing a petition in support of the Bird Safe Buildings Act, which would help prevent the deaths of many millions of birds by including bird-friendly building materials and design features into public buildings. A House version of the bill has been put forward again this week, and now a companion Senate bill has also been introduced. The legislation would establish guidelines for public building projects and outline the types of materials most appropriate for buildings with exterior glass surfaces. Under the Act, any use of plain glass would be allowed only on the first 40 feet of a building, and glass used above that level would have to be fritted, screened, shaded, or UV reflective. The petition, which you can find on our Talking Birds Facebook page, is being organized by the American Bird Conservancy. Well, if we're ever going to feed birds, this would be the month to do it along with all the other months, of course. It's National Bird Feeding Month, created in 1994 through a bill introduced by Illinois Congressman John Porter, which declared February as National Bird Feeding Month because it's one of the most difficult months in North America for wild birds. So every February, we're all encouraged to provide food, water, and shelter to help wild birds get through the winter. So fill up those feeders, folks. It's February. Meanwhile, something tells me I'll be back like a monarch butterfly. Something tells me I'll be back like a monarch butterfly. There's some really good news, at least for now, about the beleaguered monarch butterfly. The recently released yearly count of monarchs overwintering in Mexico shows an increase of 144%. From last year's count, and it's the highest count since 2006. That would be about 13 years ago. It's good news for a species whose numbers have fallen dramatically in recent years, but conservationists say the monarch continues to need to get Endangered Species Act protection. Monarchs have lost an estimated 165 million acres of breeding habitat in the U.S. to herbicide spraying and development. Tara Curry, a senior scientist at the Center for Biological Diversity, says this reprieve from bad news on monarchs is a thank you from the butterflies to all the people who planted native milkweeds and switched to organic corn and soy products. But one good weather year won't save the monarch in the long run, and more protections are needed for this migratory wonder in its summer and winter habitats. Back in 2014, conservationists led by the Center for Biological Diversity and the Center for Food Safety petitioned the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to protect the butterfly under the Endangered Species Act. The service's initial decision was that endangered species protection may be warranted 
and a final decision will be issued by June. So stay tuned. Now here's some not so good, but not really surprising news. We're having a heat wave, a tropical heat wave. Well, according to scientists at NASA, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, and NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, the Earth posted the fourth hottest year on record in 2018. The scientists say that the new analysis showed 2018's average surface temperatures firmly in line with the warming trends that have made the past five years the hottest since record-keeping began in 1880. And they describe the latest data as confirming the existence of climate change. What can we do about it? And is the Green New Deal the answer? Some Democrats in Congress say it is. The Green New Deal aims to address both economic inequality and climate change, the name referring back to the New Deal package of social and economic reforms and public works projects undertaken by President Franklin D. Roosevelt in response to the Great Depression. Some critics say that such a program would double the national debt, but proponents maintain it would provide a huge boost to the economy. As of today, models for structuring a Green New Deal are still in the initial discussion stages, and we'll be hearing lots more about it in the coming months. What we're hearing there is today's mystery bird. This is a preview of our mystery bird contest. We hope you'll get ready to call when we give the signal a little bit later on in the show. Some clues here. Our mystery bird breeds in the lakes and ponds of the American West and winters primarily off the Pacific coast. But as our friend Wayne Peterson points out in his book, Birds of New England, it's also a rare but somewhat regular visitor to Atlantic shorelines, especially from fall to early spring. I think that would cover kind of right about now. Our bird is a medium to large, elegant water bird with a black back and face, white neck and underside, a long neck, and a long thin bill for feeding on fish for which it dives in open water, spearing them or grabbing them in its bill. That would be our mystery bird. Some clues there. Prizes, the beautiful Droll Yankees bottoms-up finch feeder. Not very hospitable for house sparrows, for example, but great for lots of other birds that you'd like to have at your feeder. And a bonus prize, a download to your iOS device or online access to the amazing LarkWire app, the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. A little preview there of our mystery bird contest coming up uh, just a little bit later on in this morning's show. Extra, extra, read all about it. Here are some of the stories and videos for you on our Facebook page this week. Central Park's famous Mandarin duck is one beautiful bird, but he's molting. Doesn't look quite as handsome at the moment, but will soon appear in eclipse plumage. Subtle but tasteful looking as the National Audubon story to which we will link you explains. How eavesdropping technology is being used to protect one of New Zealand's rarest birds. We have the story from the folks at phys.org. That's P-H-Y-S. And in his latest newspaper column, our Mike O'Connor explains why feeding birds is in the final analysis a good thing. And not just in February. We'll connect you to Mike's column. That's some of what we have for you on our Facebook page right now. Not a Facebooker? That's okay. You can find those very stories through an online search. You're just going to fire up your Google machine. 
Our conservation salute of the week goes to sustainability representatives at Western Washington University. They're students living on campus who organize sustainability-focused events while mentors help them improve sustainability at the school. Three of the students, Jessica Loveland, Risa Askaruth, and Abby Severns, realized the need for more on-campus composting. So they got to work and created one of the nation's first on-campus composting programs, converting would-be waste into a useful product while reducing greenhouse gases significantly. So we're sending them and their fellow sustainability reps at Western Washington U today's Talking Birds Conservation Salute. And you can find out more about them and their program on our Facebook page. Well, about every week since we began our Talking Birds Ambassadors program, we've been fortunate to be able to welcome new ambassadors. And what happens is we send them cards, little Talking Birds show cards to hand out to their friends and neighbors and bird club uh, fellow members uh, to help spread the word about our show and about birds and conservation. This week, we're happy to say, is no exception uh, to all those sign-ups. But this week, we also have some amazing stories from some new ambassadors, as well as from some that have been with us for a while. First, let's welcome as a new ambassador this morning, Audrey B. from Greenfield, Massachusetts. She says, I can't believe I found your podcast. I've been searching all my podcast apps for so long that discuss birds. I grew up in western Massachusetts and have a house on the Cape and can't believe you're so close. I didn't find you on any of the apps, but on the good old radio while I was driving. I've been birding for a couple of years now, so I took ornithology in undergrad and was able to work with red cockaded woodpeckers for a year after that. Now I'm in graduate school at Antioch University studying conservation biology. We have a very active bird club, and there are so many more in the western Massachusetts area. I would love to share your information with all of them. Thank you so much, Audrey, and welcome to Peggy Page from Cape Elizabeth, Maine. She says, I'll be doing a presentation at the Cape Elizabeth, Maine Library on June 20th about my recent birding trip to New Zealand. I'll be sure to mention to the audience how much I enjoy the Talking Birds podcast and we'll, enjoy, uh, we'll encourage everyone to tune in. Thank you, Peggy. And Peggy is not only putting that presentation together, she's also written a beautiful piece that we've headlined Thrilled and Transported about her magical encounter with a nest full of northern pygmy owls out in the Sunol Wilderness in the San Francisco Bay Area. Find it on our listener blog. It's uh, right under the blog banner on our TalkingBirds.com website. And more amazing input from new Talking Birds ambassadors from Tabitha L. up in Eagle River, Alaska. She sent us a remarkable if sad story about a young man's encounter with a northern goshawk that crashed through the young man's bedroom window. Uh, the uh, young man is fine, but the goshawk failed to survive the window crash. We'll get that story up on our Facebook page. Meanwhile, we learned from our awesome ambassador, Jerry Poltorek, down in Lake City, Florida, about another bird that ended up in an unusual location. But without crashing, it's what appears to be a barn owl sitting in the cockpit of a Jet Airways Boeing 777 uh, on a runway prior to a flight to London. Uh, we have that story and pictures right now on our Facebook page. Celia T. from Kenosha, Wisconsin, tells us, quote, I've loved birds my whole life and birdwatch regularly in the great state of Wisconsin. 
and wherever our racing adventures take us. Racing, you say? Yes, Celia and her husband Eric race motorcycles up that way. It's vintage sidecar racing. Her husband pilots and she moves around either behind him for left corner or stretching out beyond the sidecar tire for a right turn. This distributes weight, getting them around the corners as fast as possible. They travel all over the nation, have raced in Canada as well. Uh, But even as they're out at racetracks, Celia keeps an eye out for birds. She says, a few years ago, we raced at Grattan Raceway in Michigan, and there was a killdeer nesting very close by. No babies at that time, but I was so worried for her. But I enjoyed her beauty, songs, and theatricals all weekend. You can read all about Celia and Eric's adventures on their website. It's loudvalveracing.com. That's loudvalveracing.com. Pretty amazing stuff. And we heard from another listener who joined our ambassador's family just recently, Doretta R. in Woodville, Texas, who says, A quick story about one of my favorite birds since moving out here a year and a half ago. It's the Chuck Wills Widow. They arrive in April and leave by midsummer. They are so loud once they arrive. Little Chuck Wills Widow sample there. She says, attached is a picture of my cat, Cotton. Yes, I'm a birder who loves cats, taking a selfie with me. The reason why Cotton's eyes are so large is because while I was taking the picture, a Chuck Will was flying right towards us and almost hit me in the head. I guess you could say Cotton is my best birding buddy. And just as a side note, Yes, Cotton is an inside cat who only goes outside when I go. Nice. Thanks, Doretta, and look for those beautiful photos coming very soon to our Facebook page. Talking Birds listeners, please consider joining all these great ambassadors in our Talking Birds family. To do it, just click on the contact button at talkingbirds.com and choose the Become an Ambassador option. Still to come on our show today, we'll catch up with our man Mike O'Connor in our Let's Ask Mike segment, in which Mike will talk about something completely different today. The Amur Falcons in a place called Nagaland. And up next, a predator that strikes fear in the hearts of other predators and skunks. It's today's featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Well, I went out walking in the woods last night. I was looking for an owl with my papa's flashlight. I was hoping that I'd find one with all of my might. Looking for an owl in a tree. Well, it's deep winter and breeding season for birds is a long way off. Or is it? Not for the great horned owl, today's featured feathered friend. Breeding time for this bird is right about now. Yes, great horned owls breed in late January or early February and are often heard calling to each other as early as October. They typically will choose a mate by December here in the Northeast. They're not big into nest building, often taking over nests left behind by crows, ravens, red-tailed hawks, and even squirrels, sometimes lining the nest with feathers. But if they don't find one of those, They'll nest in a tree cavity, on a cliff, in a deserted building, or on a man-made platform. The great horned owl is a fierce predator. It even eats 
other predators, including other owls and nestling ospreys. It's also been blamed for slowing down the comeback of peregrine falcons in some areas. The great horned owl has been known to kill both nestling and adult peregrines. And it's one of the few predators that will hunt and eat skunks. It's a pretty easy bird to identify with its large size, prominent ear tufts, brown body with gray barring, white throat, an orangey facial disc outlined in black, and yellow Betty Davis eyes. The female great horned owl is larger than the male, but he has a deeper voice. Here are two of them calling back and forth together. This Charlie tale has to come to an end. I didn't want to say goodbye to my new feathered friend, but I knew without a doubt that I would see that bird again. By the way, check with your nearest nature center. Lots of them are hosting owl prowls at this time of year. The great horned owl, today's talking birds, featured feathered friend. Welcome again to our show, number 714. Our website, yes, it's TalkingBirds.com, and yes, there is still no G in talking, and no, we're not working on it. We're going to kind of keep it that way. And we hope you'll follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Talking Birds. Our mystery bird contest is coming along here in just one minute. <laughs> Tanzania hosts more than a thousand bird species. And on safari with Nasera safaris, you'll see the birds and the big five. The lion, leopard, elephant, rhino, and cape buffalo. That's Nasera safaris founder and guide, Joseph Dunguru. And Nasera safaris provides more, says co-founder David Clapp. We offer customized safaris and mountain climbing adventures in Tanzania, Kenya, and Uganda, and guerrilla trekking in both Uganda and Rwanda. Going on safari in Africa is an unforgettable experience, and there's no better way to do it than with Nasera Safaris. See their website for details, nasera-safaris.com. N-A-S-E-R-A, Nasera Safaris. Here's the sound of our mystery bird bird that breeds in the lakes and ponds of the American West and winters primarily on the Pacific Coast, but sometimes on the Atlantic Coast as well, especially from fall to early spring. Our medium, our bird is described as a medium to large, elegant water bird with a black back and face, white neck and underside, a long neck and a long, thin bill that feeds for fish for which it dives uh, in open water, spearing those fish we're grabbing them in its bill. Perhaps both sometimes. That would be our mystery bird. Here's the number to call. We urge you to call as soon as possible. Take your guess because no correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner. And, of course, a correct guess would, would also determine our winner. Prizes, Droll Yankees, Bottoms Up, Finch Feeder. Not very hospitable for house sparrows, which have difficulty hanging by their feet, but great for other birds, goldfinches, chickadees, nuthatches, many others. Bonus prize, a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app. It's the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. It's really fun, and it really works. 781-837-4900 is the number to call. 781-837-4900. 
here on the Mystery Bird Contest. Meanwhile, we'll check up or check in with Mike O'Connor down there in Cape Cod with Let's Ask Mike Live in just one minute. Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation. This is Dave West from Normal, Illinois. I became a Talking Birds ambassador around the same time as I began teaching a birding class at a local community college. I'm always looking for ways to promote the conservation of birds, and this show is an ideal way to do that. I encourage others to become Talking Birds ambassadors because I think any time that you can increase the awareness of our birds and wildlife, it's a good thing. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talking Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Click on the contact button and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the contact button at TalkingBirds.com. And thanks. Mike O'Connor is down there at the Bird Watchers General Store on beautiful Cape Cod. We want to catch up with him before he moves from Cape Cod to Nagaland. I hear he's going to move there soon. We had to catch up with him before. He, maybe he's already left. Uh, I'm just, I, oh. You just caught me. Shoo. Just in time. <laughs> Suitcase packed and, and everything. Yeah, firing up the Tesla. Going to plug it in and go. <laughs> so Nagaland, the subject along with... Well, the real subject is Amur Falcons, and this is an amazing lecture with our friend uh, Scott Widensall. And yeah, it actually is, and I got, a, I got a thing in the mail the other day at the Peabody Museum. They're going to have Scott give a presentation on this on these falcons that I wasn't familiar with, but it was a very interesting story, and I thought, i got to go see that. Hmm. Unfortunately, they sent it to me a week after the event had happened. Oh. I guess they thought perhaps I had a time machine. I'm not really sure why they did it that way. <laughs> oh, sorry. So I punched it up. Because I figured, well, he gave one lecture, maybe I can find it. You know, I, I, as you, I took your advice and fired up the Google machine. <laughs> Good idea. And I, I looked, and Scott had given a presentation this up in Cornell. Mm-hmm. So I watched that, and there's also another video that this woman who Scott worked with, uh, her name is Bono, who really got involved with these falcons. It's called Race to Save the More Falcon, and I watched that video. That was a little bit more graphic, but it was... Is just as interesting. And this, the story is these falcons breed up in China and in Russia, and then they fly down to Africa each fall. And about 20 years ago, the, uh, India had put, the, the government of India had put in a, this giant reservoir in, in the Nagaland area. And so these falcons would stop along the edge of the, the, res, the reservoir, and they would stage up in the millions, maybe one to three millions of these beautiful falcons mm-hmm. all jamming in these, this really tight area, and it was a, a spectacle, but you know, the local people didn't think of it as a spectacle, they thought it was as food, and so they took nets, and they captured, each year they would capture hundreds of thousands of the falcons on the way down, way on their migration, and they, they capture them and eat them or sell them as meat, just like you know, like people do with the passenger pigeons all those years ago. Yeah, and they kind it, of repurpose their fishing nets, right, and put them up in the trees. Correct. Yeah, they, they use the they got fishing nets to fish in the reservoir, but they thought we'll catch the birds instead. And it's it's a little bit grim to think about. And you know, the population wasn't going to be able to sustain that, but these people didn't have a lot a lot to go on. You know, I mean, so they so people. You know, the local conservation officials, you know, complained, and they went up to these people and said, you can't do that. And this is the amazing part of the whole story, at least was to me. Usually when you tell 
locals, you can't do anything. They, you know, just push back. They go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't know what you're talking about. I mean, the Japanese are still wailing, for Pete's sake. But these people said, oh, okay, we won't do that anymore. And they just stopped. It was unbelievable. They said, oh, yeah, you're right. We can't do that. And they basically stopped and, and with a promise uh, that the Falcons were more valuable alive with ecotourism. And this one was Scott got involved. And he, he wants to bring people. He went up there and he brought people to, to show the Falcons and the spectacle and, you know, the whole, in the culture, this whole area, because it's kind of a different part of India, part of China, Miramar and Burma and that whole area. But it was an, it's an amazing story that it's a good story because usually when, you know, there's a natural catastrophe, things are slow to turn around. This turned around overnight just by people pointing it out that the birds were better alive. And it's to see a hundred, I mean, a millions of these falcons, the trees were covered and, and, it's, and they're beautiful and it's like snow. There's so many. And, um, I don't know how adventurous your listeners are, um, but they, you know, if you, you've got a few adventurous people, they might want to look into that. Look up Scott's website or look up some some of the uh, information on, on trips to this Nagaland. It's not easy, you know. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not going like going to Orlando. It's a little tricky to get there, but there's some people are very adventurous and to support this, and it's just a feel good story. I think that, a, you know they turn that. It's around. an amazing story, and as Scott points out, uh, be sure to bring a mattress with you if, if you go. <laughs> They have these very hard beds in the few houses you can stay at. Yeah, and and I want to make sure we mention you can see this video with Scott Weidensall. Just go to uh, the uh, Cornell Lab site, allaboutbirds.org, allaboutbirds.org, and uh, just uh, look for Amor Falcon, A-M-U-R, and you'll find it right there. That's a cool story, yeah. It is indeed. Talk to you All next right, week, Mike. happy bird feeding month, everybody. Happy, happy National Bird Feeding Month, you. It's February. <laughs> All right. Back to the uh, mystery bird contest after this uh, brief message. For over a quarter century, Birdwatching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Regular contributors include expert birders and authors such as Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and others. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. Our mystery bird breeds in lakes and ponds of the American West along the Pacific Coast, but sometimes on the Atlantic Coast as well, from um, fall to early spring. A medium to large water bird with a black back and face, white neck and underside, a long neck and a long thin bill. Feeds on fish for which it dives in open water, spearing them or grabbing its bill. What is it? 781-837-4900 is our number to call on the Mystery Bird Contest. We have Stephen in Cookville, Tennessee. Good morning, Stephen. Hey, how are you doing? Doing well, thank you. Can you give us a locator for Cookville? Uh, so it's about an hour or so uh, east of Nashville. East of Nashville. All right. Well, you oh, heard our great. mystery bird uh, clues uh, and sound there, Stephen. What do you uh, what do you say our bird is? So I'm going to guess a western grebe. Western grebe, Tim. Tim is uh, nodding, giving thumbs up, and our audience is applauding. All that adds up to the fact that I we, think that means he's right. I think that's what it means. Hey. Yes, I think it's right. Do we have time to do our bonus quiz question? Uh, uh, yeah, we you want to try a bonus quiz question uh, to officially get that bonus prize? Sure, I'll try it. All right, so um, um, what do we call this? Uh, multiple choice. Uh, another gynandromorph has been cited recently, this time in Erie, Pennsylvania. Our question is, what is a gynandromorph? 
A, it's a creature that is half male and half female. B, it's a rare giant butterfly of the Nymphalidae family. Or C, it's just a morph uh, with a gynandro attached. One of those, uh, what, do you, what do you say, Stephen? Let's see, I'm going to guess A. A would be a creature that is half male and half female, which is absolutely correct. Unbelievable, but true. We may talk more about it on the next uh, show here because it's a pretty amazing story. Stephen, thank you so much. Uh, if you'll stay on the line, Tim will take all your info. We'll send you those uh, beautiful prizes. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. And uh, Western Grebe, our mystery bird. Next week, something really unusual, but we think is going to be great. Our friend Jim McCoy, who's an amazing birder and a life coach, will be talking about uh, how those two things connect on our show here uh, next week on Talking Birds. Thanks to Mark Duffield and Debbie Bleacher and our engineer, Tim McKenney. I'm Ray Brown. And we'll see you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Birds and Beans Shade Grown Bird Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com by Celestron, offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com and proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. Don't let winter's chill keep you indoors. Ocean State Bird Club is hosting lots of free winter walks to see magnificent harlequin ducks, razor bills, and maybe even a snowy owl. Visit our website at www.oceanstatebirdclub.org for more information and follow us on Facebook. If you become a member, you'll also get our quarterly newsletter, Ocean State Bird Club.